0: Aquaponics For everyone Grow big Or grow home Alright, what's up everybody? This is R.K. Castillo And today I am talking with Glenn Martinez from Olamana Gardens And, you know, I first I uh, got acquainted with Glenn from, of uh, course, all places, YouTube. And, uh, you know, Glenn, I saw, I saw a, a, uh, you know, this kind of little bucket setup that you did that you're going to be taking into, uh, uh, I believe it was the Philippines. And I just, I couldn't figure out how he was doing one aspect of it. And so I found out that Olomar Gardens was actually on our island. And so, you know, I called them up and they were nice enough to give me a tour and uh, kind of explain the systems, and, you know, now, ever since I've done that, every single time I've gone out to your, you know, to your farm, it's like you have something new that you have, you know, you've just invented, or, uh, you know, uh, Natalie says that every day you have something new, and it's like, okay, wait, go change this, kind of thing, and so I, I was, I, I contacted Glenn, he was nice enough to take an interview, and so then I really appreciate you talking with me today.
1: Sure. Glad to be here.
0: <laughs> so um, would you mind telling us, you know, what got you started uh, in doing aquaponics?
1: Um, the water source that we had, which was a natural stream, got polluted by people that live upstream of me, closer to the mountain than I am. And so then when it got polluted, I couldn't use it to grow my food, E. coli and that, and leptospirosis was in it so it wasn't suitable for growing food, but I was using 20,000 gallons a day, and that was too expensive to buy from the city, potable water. And I was going organic, and organic, you absolutely required to use potable water. It cannot be any contaminants in it. It has to be human drinking water. So I discovered aquaponics as a recirculating system, and the what they shared, um, the information was that, um, and it had been valid, you know, uh validated by universities Vancouver and Vancouver and different farms and Nelson Page. The numbers go like this. You use 2 to 5% of the water that you do in normal farming. You use the same water over and over, just adding whatever you lost to evaporation or what the plants are drinking. And then you grow eight times as much food in the same and that gets to be important, because I live in Hawaii, and because of the bug situation, we're bug heaven here, is that you need to be inside of a screened enclosure to be able to grow tomatoes, cucumbers, certain crops. Um, everything wants to eat everything around here. So if you're into a screened enclosure, you're not doing field crops anymore. Now you've got to think about, wow, how much does that greenhouse cost you per square foot? And you want every square foot to pay for itself. Kind of like a retail store. You want every square foot. To, you want to know how much it earns, yeah. You know? And so when you looked at it, and you realize, okay, if you build a greenhouse, say thirty feet wide, a hundred feet long, that's that's pretty commercial. You have three thousand square feet. What can you grow? So then you look at crops that are sold by the ounce, instead of crops that are sold by the pound or the ton. In other words, you wouldn't grow potatoes in a greenhouse. That's that's a field. Crop. You know, with tractors and machinery and all of that. Then the other thing is age. I'm over 50. And when you do that, you realize, and a lot of my friends are over 50, we're at past stage. We're not going to do the bending, kneeling on the ground, pulling weeds thing. And um, and we're busy people. Uh, so it had to be something that would be self-caring. It lends itself to being automated. So when I did the aquaponics, we were able to get in a screened enclosure, no more bugs problems, less environmental problems, such as people down on the Big Island. Um, They have acid rain there. The rain falls out of the sky, and it's pH 4.0. Well, neutral is 7.0. So they have to add chemicals, potassium and that every day to keep the pH up where plants and fish can live. So obviously, they need to be in a house that doesn't let the rain in. So now they're in a plow covered building. Again, as soon as you start using the word building structure, the cost per foot farming goes up. So you need a higher return. So what we got into is growing herbs, herbs, you know, seasoning. They're sold by the ounce or the fraction of an ounce. Think what a, you know, start off with pepper, but you go to all your cooking herbs, they're signed down to the ground. No, the bottles. So what you want to do is grow the most expensive food you can or the highest return on the dollar in the smallest space using the, as little as possible. And, of course, energy. And so energy is the big kicker. And uh, on that front, we invent air pumps. And what the air pumps do is we have a monto that we kind of lifted from Dr. Ricosi a Virgin Islands Institute. He has a saying, one country... One God, one pump. And what you meant there is don't design a system with multiple pumps and switches and levers. When this fills up, it flows there. So our systems, we have many systems that have absolutely no moving parts in them. And the only energy we use is a little air compressor, 25-watt uh, or 40-watt. Think a 40-watt light bulb. And I can run a farm with a 40-watt light bulb. That'll fuel energy and, uh, and get a maximum return if you don't want it. get a living income off of it. Many people growing in the backyard of a residential house and they're able to make 700 to $1,500 net profit a week working less than 20 hours a week on it. Many of them have not quit their 40-hour job and they just feed the fish in the morning, feed them in the evening and it's weekend harvesting and they go to the farmer's market. So you can carve out, you know, whatever you want. A hobby, fantastic hobby. Gardening long been a, a, a favorite hobby, uh, you know, for Americans. And uh, cooking, ass, that's a major hobby of Americans. Aquarium fish, oh, there's a major hobby for America. And so I realized, wait a minute, I can raise my fish, do my gardening, my plants, and I can cook. I got three of the most popular hobbies. For a long time, these are long. These are not bad, you know?
0: <laughs> yes. Then you come
1: into the guy thing. Yeah, the guy thing. Aquaponics is for men who have outgrown their train sets.
0: <laughs> they like
1: the engineer. They got some imagination, and they like to. This is for the MacGyvers. This is for the guys that are what I call the solutionists, where if they were sitting around with a cold beverage in their hand and you laid a problem on them, that would be the highlight of the day. They would be all over it, coming up with different solutions. Do this, do that, run it this way, run it that way. And the kind of guys who would go out and start cutting the pipe and reengineering it. And you say, oh, it's just asking, you know. <laughs> and they would, they would come over and spend the weekend and reengineer your system. And so what you have is you're waking up a rebirth of that Connecticut Yankee spirit of inventiveness, America used to – I mean, I still think the greatest strength that America has got is our problem-solving ability, our imaginative solutionist type of attitude. There are engineers all over the world, but we got the problem-solving engineers, you know? And if we don't have them, the beautiful thing about America, we'll, we'll, we'll hire them. We'll steal them. We'll import them. You know, I mean, after World War II, it was a contest of my German is smarter than your German. You know? I mean, we, we, we you know, look, look who's doing the software program the people from Israel, from India. You know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, um, yeah. There's a great YouTube up, by the way. If you go up to YouTube and in the search box, write, um, Indian, uh, honor roll students, something of that. India honor roll student, did you know? And that, did you know, is the operative phrase. It's an award winning PowerPoint presentation put up by somebody. And it starts off where, did you know that India has more students in the honor roll than we have students at all grade levels in America?
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah? You yeah. it goes on Israel has graduated more programmers last year than we employ in America, you know? So when you think about the, this global competitiveness, what's keeping America up on top? Why why go to the Philippines or Korea or China or Fiji Tonga, you know Pacific Island? Why are American engineers embraced? And I think it's because we come in with solutions. Mm-hmm. You know we, you know some people can go into the kitchen and just whip up a meal. Other people say, do you have a cookbook? they they got to have something that tells them what to do. Uh, I had a friend, he says, I'm a business manager. I said, really? Oh, yeah. I said, you mean like a real professional business manager? He says, I've worked with McDonald's for 15 years.
0: Yeah. And I said,
1: what's your job? He says, to make sure that nobody else has to manage anything. All they have to do is read a book. We write a book and we anticipate every possible thing that can go wrong. And we have the solution written down for you. So if you can read, you can manage a McDonald's. It's a standard operating procedure book. And you realize, you know, I was in the Coast Guard auxiliary. There's a similar thing. You have guides for everything you can anticipate. But I love the Coast Guard. You turn the page, and at the end of every chapter, there were blank pages. And it says, this is for you to continue writing the book. You know, the book ain't done. This is this is how far we got. So it's that thing about standing on the shoulders of you know the people, right? And and now what I see in the aquaponics is uh, like I go to China, I love it. The Chinaman stands up and I recognize him and he says, "I really admire how you how you have taken what we have done for four thousand years and packaged it right. and called it American." Yeah, well, yeah, we do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I found out, um, I I read a quote that uh, Tesla, uh, Nikola Tesla, great electrical inventor, he was sarcastically referring to another wannabe inventor and that, and he cracked up the audience. You know, he was talking to a room, 1200 electrical engineer inventor type, right? And he was asked about another inventor. Well, what about the work he's doing? You know, what he's inventing. And Tesla looked back and smiled and he says, I find it wonderful that every time he discovers something, it becomes his invention. <laughs> and I realized that's true for me, too. I discover something, you know, I to the realization how things work or how to fly something. And I think I've invented it. Actually, I just yeah. simply discovered it. Water seeks its own level. I didn't invent that. Water seeks its own level. It's a fact. Ah, but how to use it, how to get it to automatically start a siphon, how to get uh, you know, the Bernoulli principle that wants something, or, or uh, you know, the laws of physics, something, once it's in motion, it wants to stay in motion. If it's standing still, it wants to stand still. In between are all the other physical laws. So if you've got water moving, it wants to keep moving. How do you get the moving water to stop itself? You put an air brake on. Yeah. And so yeah. we discovered these things. Because we lacked the formal education, we were unaware that what we were doing was impossible. <laughs> and we've had repeatedly have engineers come to the property here, tell me right up front they have little time to waste, they don't want to be here, they've been ordered to come and spend some time with me, they like that to be as little time as possible. So if I could just quickly disappoint them, they will be on their way.
0: I go, (laughs) okay.
1: So I just walk them out. I shoot an air pump. I stick it in two feet of water. It does nothing. And the guy looks at me and he shakes his head. He says, the maximum lift you would get is six inches. Then I take it and I drop it in a well six foot deep. And I shoot the water 12 foot high. And he says, that's impossible. Do you have a motor in there? What, what are you doing? And I pull it out. We take it apart. It's a pipe and a pipe and a compression chamber and we put it back together and he's doing it. We're getting wet. We're playing with it. And here's the standard thing I got. Could you, could we step into your office? Could we make a drawing of this so I could understand it? Right. I mean, you have it in your hand, you know? (laughs) Right. Here's a gun, pull the trigger, bang, there it goes. And they're they going, but, but why? Why does it work? And they get frustrated if I cannot, in an academia way, explain to them why what we do works. So what I do when I travel in those kind of circles, I bring Dr. Benny Ron with me or another educated Ph.D. person, and I get up on stage and I said, I'm here to show you what I do. And to share with you how we've applied it for other people or what other people have done with our, quote, inventions. And you can call them discoveries if you want to. That's fine. We're not insulted. You know, what we've just is that this works and this is efficient. And if this worked for you in your industry, we'd love to work with you, you know. And that yeah. we've got our books up on the Internet, you know, for 50 bucks. You can re-get the manuals and that. But I brought them with me. And I'm going to step outside because we're going to spill some water and shoot some water 20 feet up in the air, and that, and they don't like me to do it in the classroom here or the hotel lobby. So we'll step outside. So everybody who wants to learn, see how it, see them working, wants to take one apart and examine it and put it back together and run it. I'm going to do outside for all of want to understand why it works and what principles are involved and the science of what I do. Dr. Viniron here will graciously teach it to you. I swear, <laughs> one third of the room always stays in the room. They're more interested in why it works than how it works.
0: Right? You yeah, know. Exactly.
1: And I come from Louisiana people that is more of a. They're more like Missouri. Show me, Missouri. Yeah. Show me. I don't believe you. You know. They've heard all the lies, right? So what I do is simply travel around like a little medicine show, carrying suitcases full of water pumps of different configurations, and I show people them work. Now, the beautiful thing is I did it for aquaponics to get a low-energy way to move the water, and I improved on Dr. Rikosi. He said one country, one God, one pump. I came up with one country, one, one love, one pump. And my girlfriend liked the love part, you know, actually that in there for her. But the one pump, we honestly use one pump. See, when Dr. Ricosi did that, he was referring to the water pump. He said, of course, you've got to have a second pump, which is the air pump, because the fish have to breathe. And I said, well, what if pumped it the air for the fish to breathe, also pumped the water? I'd really have one pump. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I use the air pump. We have a fish tank sitting, you know, on a level property, you know, piece of ground. We basically drill a hole in the side of it, come out, and we put a well, say, four feet in the ground, a reservoir with a cap on the bottle. Now, my pump, if the fish tank was two foot high and the well is four feet deep, my air pump is sitting in six feet of water. When you release air six feet underwater into a closed tube, like a one inch tube, you can pump the water six feet high Mm. and not little spurts. I mean like 400 gallons an hour. I mean a continuous flow and it's, and you do very little power. And that's the thing. A lot of people have figured out aquaponics. They got it working they got them going and then they get the $10,000 electric bill
0: and they're closing.
1: We have aquaponic places in America that are shutting down aquaculture is almost non-existent in a lot of communities where it used to thrive because the electricity went from five cents a kilowatt an hour to 40 cents a kilowatt hour that killed the business so what i do the largest system i put in in the world that i've been associated with is a one acre farm in um, uh, manila in manila philippines a city of 12 million people The electricity is more expensive than Hawaii, okay, Wow. quite a bit more. So very precious, right? We run a one-acre farm with one one one-horsepower pump, water pump, with an air into it. We pump the water 30 feet high into a water tower, then it gravity feeds all over the farm. And so there we are, and when we run it, we are less than 750 watts. One horsepower of uh, consumption electricity, and so when you can run a one-acre farm on one horse. Now think about a commercial farm. When the guy walks over and gets on his thirty-three horsepower tractor, or he gets behind his fertilizer, you know, when he cranks up the harvester, America uses a lot of the energy to farm. So much so that we're in a trap. Um, it's. Like when I graduated high school in 1967, DeLand, Florida, at that time, the American census tells us that about 75 to 80% of our population lived in the rural country and were employed in the farming industry, growing, selling, harvesting, whatever. Okay? The act of farming, right? Over percent you know what it is?
0: Two
1: percent. Wow. Two percent no. So you went from seventy five to two percent. So seventy three percent of our population had to retrain and find new jobs. You yeah. know? Um yeah. I, I went to a presentation in Chicago. America had I think the number was two million dairy farms. We now yeah. have less than fifty thousand. Okay. Wow. We used to be, we went to Pennsylvania, the dairy state. There was a, everybody was a dairy farm and everybody put their, harvested their milk, put it up on the highway and the milk truck came and picked it up and then brought it to a creamery. The creamery then put it to a consolidator and then it went to the milk distributor and then it got, you know, the public was drinking it this morning. Now you go out there, what they call uh, high density feedlots, lots, you in know, uh, confined animal enclosures. Have thousands of cows in a pen that will never eat grass, never pasture, and they're standing next to each other that corn or something. Yeah, and so so forget the contented grass fed cow. I mean that's just a thing of the past, right? But <laughs> uh, right. if the only milk I'll drink is organic cow grass fed milk, right? You know, I mean, that's what we all drink. That's that's what we all were raised on. So the yeah. milk you get now, the milk is from corn and not from grass. You're kidding yourself if you think it doesn't make a difference. You know,
0: <laughs> it's, um, you know I, it's like I somebody another... said,
1: America. Yeah. yeah. What was your other question? Oh, uh,
0: no, yeah. No, Um. you know, sorry to interrupt you. I was, You know, one of the things is, you know, I've been around your farm, and, you know, thinking about the contrast of a dairy farm, you know, nowadays versus your farm, your farm doesn't stink. You know, you can't smell this, you know, you have horses and ducks. Yeah. And then, of course, you have like, you know, tons of worms that live under your duck, you know, and your chickens. Exactly. And, you know, so how how do you make your farm not smell like a, just a traditional farm?
1: I went and did what every American should do, and that is take a two-week course from a fellow named Bill Mollison or Jeff Lockett from Australia. They teach it all over the world, and America has lots of teachers. And basically, you go to a, a like a summer camp for two weeks, you know, and it could be a hotel or whatever. But for two weeks, you study. For 72 hours, you learn permaculture, permanent agriculture. It's how to live with nature and stop fighting it. You know, it's like pro-organic. I mean, it's not obsessive about it, but it's pro-organic. It's about raising the worms underneath your chicken pins. We our, we sell our eggs out. We sell out every day, okay? 50 cents an egg is $6 dozen, you know, for organic eggs. Now, that's enough. I mean, how much can you charge, right? Duck eggs right. are a dollar a piece. It's dollars a dozen. I mean, you, your conscience, you say, I've got to learn how to do it on that because I, I, I just can't charge more, you know? Just doesn't yeah. seem right. I mean, so you're there. So where do we make our money? Well, we put the worms underneath the chicken cages to make it clean and sanitary. Turns out the worms sell for forty dollars a pound, and the soil, the castings, you'll have to they eat it all up, sells for three dollars a pound. A five gallon bucket of worm casting is seventy five dollars cash to me. Wow. Two, a double handful of worms is forty bucks. Right. So the joke is, people say, do you feed worms to the chickens? Do you feed the worms to your fish? I say, listen, the fish sells for $5 a pound. The worms sell for $40 a pound. Who's eating who?
0: (laughs) That's right.
1: (laughs) You know, come on. Fish, they're looking a little peakish, feed them to the worms, right? But the other one is, uh, uh, most of what we're doing is documented, and you can see it online, it's called the South Korea Natural Farming. There's a fellow named Master Cho, and he's in his 60s, 70s now. I took his class one week, five days to learn how you can have a piggery and goats without the odors, without the flies, and no complaints from the neighbor. And people go, really? I said, listen, we went down to the Big Island. We brought some reporters with us. They said, "What do the neighbors think?" And we said, "We don't know. We've never talked to them." I said, "So you're not on speaking terms with your neighbors?" No, we just haven't met them. Could we <laughs> talk to them? Certainly. So we got in a car and a little caravan, a three car. We went around to the eight houses were were within sight. Pig farm, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, "I loved it." What pig farm? <laughs> we said the pig farm right over here in the valley. I I don't are they are they operating? That was a response from all eight immediate neighbors, unaware that there was a big farm. Now wow, and that's and beyond just not having complaints. That's that's people not even knowing you're doing it. People come yeah. here and when they're in our area, you know where the fish ponds are and that, they're oblivious that I have two hundred animals on the property. You, did right. you heads up before we walked over by the chickens and the ducks and all that, that they were even there?
0: Yeah, never would have known.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, when we um, get there, I have to ask
1: people, what what's different about my barnyard than other barnyards? And they look around, they say, well, your animals are running loose. And I have to ask them, well, what about the odor? What about the flies? And the yeah. standard response I get, oh my God, you must have to spray a lot. I said, I've been here 16 years. I've never sprayed anything. Yeah. Wow. And they go, how? You clean up every day? I said, I've been 16 years. I've never cleaned up anything. It's a self perpetuating machine. You know, think about it. A cow poops in the open pasture. Manure melts down in the rain, fertilizes the grass. Cow eats grass, right? It's a self perpetuating yeah. thing. It felt that you have rain sunshine, and other animals coming in, in other words, outside sources. And the farmer may top it off with fertilizer once a year or so for whatever's missing. When we top off, rather than go buying fertilizer, I go get pig manure or rabbit manure or chicken manure to put on my cow pasture. Now, you want want the manure to come from some other animal than what you're doing. It's kind of like uh, if I have dead fish, I do not feed dead fish. And do not grind it up and feed that back to the fish. That's a little too much like mad cow disease, right?
0: right Feeding yeah, cows right, right. back
1: to cows. You know, our country did that. We ground up cow bones and we ground up the rendering the process that said protein is protein, and we fed the cow back to its daughter or son. And we had yeah. weird things happen. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: they're outlawing that now, right? So when I have a dead fish, the dead fish goes to the chickens. We cook it and feed it to the chickens, or we'll give it to the worms, okay? Then the chicken can be fed to the fish. The worm can be fed to the fish, but you never feed fish to fish, you know? Right. If a goat dies, I will compost it, you know? If I had a disease, something like that, we will compost it. That compost will be returned to the soil. So somebody says, your goat's gone? I say, well... Kind of in a different form now.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny.
1: So,
0: um, yeah, I had, I had another question so, for you. What's the, the way of life? I learned, yeah, yeah. One, of the things that I learned from going to your farm uh, was that you use uh, EM one uh, in your aquaponics system yep. and on. Uh, can you explain to yeah. me kind of what that is, what it does, you know, what yeah. it helps with, right. in, in aquaponics right. and aquaponics and on and on right. your farm. Yeah, but it's
1: it, uh, it's a Hawaii product, a Japanese company came here to Hawaii. They made it in Hawaii a few years ago, and they moved their operations over to Houston, Texas, for labor and land cost reasons. Texas was cheaper than Hawaii. But I was in Manila. They also make it there. It's made all over the world, and basically it's a natural um, uh, group of bacteria that they found to be beneficial. The label tells you exactly what's in it. The primary ingredient is a lactis bacillus, and they, which is made from milk, you know, and they do that. And they use rice water, and they use different things. And it tells you what they came up with was uh, not a patented thing, but we use that word loosely, but a, uh, a combination, a tr- secret way of growing those in a bath. And it's like yogurt. If you take another batch, you can start it up and you'll get exactly the same flavor, right? So if you have yogurt, you go buy a gallon of milk, take a tablespoon of this yogurt, put it in the new milk, stir it up three days, tastes exactly the same because you're moving the bacteria into the sterile milk. So what they did is they learned how to get the stuff, make up a new batch of liquid compost, heat it up, sterilize it, right, and then introduce the bacteria they want, let it breed up, they feed it molasses, it breeds up, and then they cut off the oxygen. And so, think about it. It's like making charcoal. You start a fire, and then you smother it. Okay. Mm. Oddly enough, it will smother. All the oxygen that will be used up by what's left of the fire. It will smolder out and end. When you uncover it, what you got is charcoal, like charcoal cats. When you light that, it will burn slower. Much hotter and much, much longer than the wood would have done. Kind of odd, right? Well, they yeah. do that with EM. It's by taking all the oxygen out of it because it's, it's composting, like a compost pile. It's in liquid form. It uses up all the oxygen. They cap the lid. It's good for one to two years, okay? When you open the lid and you take one cup of that and you put it into non-chlorinated water, because if you put it in chlorinated water, you'd just kill it, right? That'd be dumb. So don't use tap water. So you take bottled distilled water. You take one cup of that EM, and if you put it into a gallon of distilled water and add one cup of molasses, sugar, and everything's clean, you're not introducing any other bacteria, you can make another gallon of EM. So if yeah. you buy one gallon, you can just keep making It's like yogurt. You just keep making the stuff. Now, what's it do for you? Well, the chicken industry discovered... That if they mixed one cup of EM and five gallons of water, waited 20 minutes, and then went out and sprayed the chicken manure, all odors disappear. We spray that around our horses. We have no odor. So when I say we don't spray, I'm referring to not spraying chemicals or, you know, uh, pesticides, herbicides, or that. We do spray EM, all right? We, We grow our own. And we do another company called BAM, which is Beneficial Active Microorganism. And a chemist that worked for them left them, Harry Arkawa. He left the EM company and went and did his own new and improved formula. And they're very, very similar. They're basically the same product. But he made his a little bit, has a longer shelf life, and uh, seems to be a little more aggressive. And you go to his factory, it's just a big empty warehouse where they have big containers where they brew the stuff. And somebody jokingly said, Glenn, it's just like beer. You know, you're breeding, you know, a winemaker. You're literally breeding bacteria, right? And uh, so we buy it. It's like eighty dollars a gallon. But you buy one gallon, and you can keep breeding it for a long time until you spill it or you let it get too old. Um, And what we do for it, if you walk around your farm and if you spray like once a week on your fruit trees or that, after about six months, you don't have to spray anymore. You've repeatedly put the bacteria out there until some of it found and after that it lives out there naturally now if you go through a long drought or some really terrible weather you may have to go out and re-inoculate your garden you know the bacteria going again right Uh, Right. it's kind of like letting your uh, fish tank get out of out out of balance you might have to drink it and fill it back up again this time pay a little more attention to it right keep the air bubbler going in that but pretty much if you get it balanced You don't put too many fish in your crane. You don't get greedy. You can live forever, you know, Um, as long as you don't stress it out. Well, that's what the natural farming is, is just trying to live in a natural, ordered way, um, using as little energy as possible because the electric bills are just killers. But the other thing is water is starting to get scarce in America. I mean, the water wars in Colorado and California have been going on for 80 years. Now the Midwest, they're pumping their water table down. I read one place that the water table is dropping six feet every year. Well, that to me, you know, when somebody tells me the glacier is, you know, is melting a quarter inch a year and in a thousand years we're not going to have a glacier, they go, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. On the other hand, as they say, the glacier receded three miles last year and expected to recede five miles, you know, whoa, that's serious, right? Yeah. Or when you tell me, you say, well, how far is the water down now? They say 400 feet down. Where was it? And he said, well, when I was in high school, it was 20 feet below the surface. Now we're down at 400 feet. Now weird things are starting to happen. What chemicals are they pumping up? What radioactiveness? What heavy metal? What things that God and Mother Nature never intended to be on the surface? He said, yeah, let's well, not be an alarmist. Oh, okay, I challenge you to go to Google Australia and write salt fields. And you find out from, uh, from going from uh, Sydney, going toward Melbourne, and up toward Brisbane, hundreds and thousands of acres of ag land completely dead. You can drive all day and there's salt, so much salt on the ground, it looks like snow. What happened? They bore deeper and deeper, and they started getting salt water, and they pumped it up to the top. Unless it was 2 or 5% salt, right? The plant, wow. the plant still grew. Ah, but the water evaporated, and that 2% salt is on the surface. Next day, you pump it up again. Next day, you pump it up again. Well, the 2% becomes 4% and 6%, and you hit about – now you, you go across, and you go, well, those Aussies, I mean, just shake your head. What are they thinking? So I okay. took a train ride. I rode from Chicago to Seattle, Washington. Going through parts of Montana and Wyoming and in that, you see in cornfields, you see banks of salt like driven snow and it was July. I actually yeah. thought it was snow. That was you know, you wake up in the morning, you're you're on a two day trip in a train across the country, and you look at your window and you Oh my God. Didn't we see what our neighbors, the Aussies, did? They killed their country. The land is gone. It's fallow. Won't be farmed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And nobody has a solution on how to get the salt back down in the ground. Oddly enough, the Australians, the permaculture guys, do. They go out and plant salt-tolerant trees. They get the place shaded because they cut it all down for farming, Put it back to forest. Don't water it. It will live on its own. Have you ever noticed that nobody fertilizes a forest?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: a forest just takes care of itself, right? You know, there's no pumping program. There's no irrigation program. There's no weed control program. And then we come along and we start putting out all the forest fires, right? Oh, boy, it's the first sign of fire. We're going to stomp that out. We ended up burning most of Colorado to the ground because instead of having small periodic fires burning the dead wood on the ground, we waited 20 years and had one fire and burned the state down. Right. Yeah? Yeah? That was kind of a wake-up call for a lot of people. Now, I go to North Carolina, South Carolina, and I love going up in those Forest Ranger Towers. I've always been fascinated with it, right? And proud that I could make it to the top and lose my (laughs) breath. You get up there, get and you look out, and you go, there. my God, young man. Yeah, you're looking over the whole countryside, the forest, right? And you can yeah. see the smoke going up fires. And he says, Not nah, as long as it's a single column, it's nature's way.
0: Yeah. Oh, really? What kind of yeah. forest
1: ranger are you? And he says, one that wants to keep this state alive. If we don't let yeah. the little ones burn it off periodically, then you got a bet. So for us, we introduce bacteria, EM. You introduce the good bacteria rather than waiting for what evilness might just be flying around in the air, right? Yeah. And once the M is there, the, the, the bad guy, the hell's angel, parachutes in, and it's just it's outnumbered. It doesn't have a chance. And in nature, it's always a numbers game,
0: you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah. then the other
1: thing is you let your place grow. If you remember, looking back on it, uh, our place is maintained by one person working two hours three days a week, six hours of labor a week to maintain our garden and keep it trimmed back. And they people we'll say, God, Glenn, I expect it to be eaten up by mosquitoes. No, we put in more ponds. But don't they breed in the ponds? Oh, certainly the mosquitoes breed in the ponds. So we put in mosquito fish to eat the mosquito eggs. The more water you have on your farm, the less mosquitoes you have. That's wow. natural farming.
0: Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. The more
1: frogs you have. So you know what? Don't don't cut down all the weeds. Let let go over there and plant little little puffs here and there of plants, and give the frogs a place to hide. Oh, but don't the dogs get sick? Mm. Maybe once or twice, but the dogs figure it out. Stop eating the frogs, you know. (laughs) Because if I get rid of all the frogs, all you got is a mosquito mosquito bitten dog. You know? Yeah. We were. we're, That's not a way to live, right? Right. So. Um, so it's no. fun. It can be very, very relaxing. It can be very rewarding. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um yeah. you know, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, um, how how would they do that? Also I want to kind of just uh you know, you mentioned your book. Uh I got your I got your, you know, fifty dollar Glenn Martinez Aquaponics guide and and in the guide he has you know, probably like four, or five or six different designs of how he does the the air, water pumps and, you know, they he has all all all, all these little different designs he does for his aquaponic setup. So totally recommend mm-hmm. going over to Olamana Gardens website, picking up the, the manual and seeing how he does the different bell siphons, the bucket siphons, how he does the air pumps. But um what's the best way to get in contact with you if someone wanna get in contact with you?
1: Oh, the webpage is Gardens dot com. That's O L O mana is M A N A. So olomana, then gardens G A R D E N S dot com. And right on that, you can click and go straight to our, our email is just Gardens at hawaii dot And on there, it has our contact phone numbers and all that. You just give us a call.
0: Yeah, and you know if you ever get a chance to come out to Hawaii, make sure you. You schedule a time to go get a tour of Glenn's farm. I mean, it really is amazing what they're doing out there, and they're they're really helpful. So, again, Glenn, hey, I really appreciate you talking with me today, and I uh, look okay. forward to seeing, seeing you again. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review, or go to www.aquaponicsforeveryone.com or like us at facebook.com slash aquaponicsforeveryone.